Well, after a spectacular opening ceremony, which starred the likes of Hollywood actor Morgan Freeman and BTS star Jungkook, the FIFA's World Cup tournament itself finally took center stage uh, this Sunday after being overshadowed by the off-pitch matters uh, during the build-up. Now, we'll have more on the on-field action at 5 p.m. on this show, but let's focus on the off-field challenges for a moment. Corruption scandal plagued FIFA, world football's governing body, after it awarded Qatar the tournament in 2010, though Qatari officials have previously strongly denied allegations of bribery, which has surrounded its bid. Now, for over a decade, and increasingly so, as kickoff neared, the pre-tournament build-up has focused on the country's human rights record from the death of migrant workers and the conditions many have endured in Qatar, as well as LGBTQ laws and the role of women in its society. Now, the country's last-minute ban of alcohol in the World Cup stadiums also made headlines around the world. So what is reality in Doha, Qatar, and for that matter, how FIFA is run? Suki Sandu has lived and worked in Qatar. He has also worked at FIFA's World Cup organization in South Africa in 2010, as well, he was the head of international events at the Aspire Zone in Doha, where many games and performances are being held during this World Cup. Suki, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon, Jazz, and good afternoon to your listeners. Yeah, we've got lots to talk about. First of all, when did you move to Doha? I initially uh, was asked to come and work the Pan Arab Games uh, in 2012. And then from there, I... Um, I was asked uh, sometime later to uh, consider uh, the role of uh, head of events at Aspire Zone, which is probably one of the foremost uh, sporting destinations in the world. It's, uh, we host a number of international events and uh, sporting training camps, norm- namely football training camps, with the likes of Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, etc. Mm-hmm. So about 30 uh, 30 training camps a year, and then many international events. It could be uh, World Swimming Championships, World Cycling Championships. We've been on a number of um, of, of uh, upcoming games and matches, and we have three to four international friendlies every year. Mm-hmm. So in regards to sporting, you would attract a lot of big talent, big names. Uh, your impression when you, mo- when you were there in Doha working and mingling with not just sporting executives, but also uh, with government uh, and the private sector. Give me a sense of how you as an outsider and many other outsiders, these these cities in many cases, the local population is sometimes overshadowed by the expat population, South Asians, uh, people from the Philippines, keep people even coming from the UK, uh, different parts of the world actually work there. Your impressions of how expats and, and people were treated there. Well, I, I, I first would like to say to your listeners, I think one of the reasons people like myself, born and raised in Canada, a person of color, um, you know, gra- look towards careers in places like Qatar is because in our own country, mm-hmm. um, leadership roles in sport aren't for people of my identity. Yeah. Um, it's a very exclusionary, uh, if we look at the stats speak for themselves in Canada, that people of color are not amongst those at the board level or at the senior administration or the governance level of sport in Canada. And we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. So when I go to a place like Qatar, I remember the first day, I still can never forget it, the first two days, uh, locals, I was on the 23rd floor of the Qatar Olympic Committee uh, building, and uh, we're, we had br- 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 uh, been brought in from different parts of the world for venue operations for the Pan Arab Games, and... Um, a uh, gentleman, uh, he's passed away now, um, uh, Nick Brick from Calgary, tapped me on the shoulder. He says, ah, you're from Canada. I said, yes. 
And he said, uh, what are you doing this evening? I wanted to show you around. So first question he asked me was very pointed. And Suki, how's it been so far? And I said, ah, it's been okay. He says, be honest with me. I said, well, uh, you know, it's been really strange that local people will not enter the elevator with me. And, and it was very, I was, you know, I was vulnerable with him. I was very transparent. And he mentioned over the next hour that, you know, Indians and um, Philipp- people from the Filipino community and, and Pakistani community are, there's a class system and that is very apparent and you will see this. And, uh, and that uh, these three categories of workers are seen at the bottom of the, uh, the caste system, if you want to call it. Now, for me, uh, that was that hit me really hard. And he basically told me that whenever you meet a local from the next two weeks, you say, I'm Suki Sandu from Canada. Now, anybody who knows me, that my identity is such an important part of me as a person. Mm-hmm. I will never shed that identity. I always stand for my identity. And that's something we teach our children. Mm-hmm. So that was very hard to come to terms with. And I never followed that advice. I'm proud to be Indian. I'm proud of my Indian ancestry, but at the same time, I am Canadian and I had a skill set to bring. And then at the same time, I was ahead of events, which twofold, I, my identity, most of the people in the president's office at Aspire Zone who are Indian were usually in IT. So there's microaggressions and stereotyping. Oh, you must be in IT. When I took my, first took my office, most of the people around me were expats who were British, um, Australian, uh, or other parts of Europe, but all white. So there was resentment on that end, that who's this Indian guy or this Canadian Indian who's, uh, he shouldn't be in this role. You know, he doesn't have the skill set. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a Eurocentric mentality that we, we were the ones who created sport, you know, in, in Europe, or we are the ones who are the... Uh, the um, people who uh, safeguard it yeah. which other, without understanding people's skill sets. And, uh, you know, was, that, was that prevalent, though, Suki, not beyond just uh, what you were doing, but when you go out and about on the street and, and meeting people, uh, and not just your profession, but, you know, Filipinos or South Asians, uh, could even be people from places like Egypt. I know a lot of those folks work in, in the Middle East as well, in, in, in those, in the Emirates specifically. Uh, were they also sometimes uh, sort of viewed as, as, as lesser people? I think it, there, there comes a, it, it's part of the parcel, it, and sometimes I, as you know me, I'm a very strong personality. And I would fight back. And sometimes you would be in meetings. If I brought forward a policy proposal uh, to change, say, or to lead, like if we had a real Madrid versus Pierre St. Germain match and one of the local uh, would, would, would propose my name, there would be uh, to lead it. And so I'd have 18 to 21 departments under me. But you could see the uneasiness. You know, and so what you do there, you create allyship with some of the locals. That's very important. That's critical. Um, and the locals will usually trust your, yourselves more. But what they do, they, 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 it's hypocritical in some ways or contradictory that they also then at the same time value those expats from those countries who are now criticizing mm-hmm. the World Cup in Qatar. Those are the ones who are part of their leadership team at the outset. So let's touch a little bit on the broader issue of Qatar itself. When they got the, um, when they won the bid, do you think it was a mistake for FIFA 
to choose Qatar, A, because of its size, and, and B, because of everything we've heard about now. Uh, migrants who have died to build those stadiums, uh, its, um, it's uh, you know, treatment, some have said, of, of women, LGBTQ issues, all of those issues that we've talked about, uh, and its human's right, human rights record as well. Do you think it was just a mistake on FIFA's part? Jazz, let me be very clear. I think most people would agree that corruption has always taken place within FIFA and the allocation of the World Cup. I think this just got taken to an entirely different level of corruption. Uh, I don't agree with, though uh, I understand the notion for uh, taking the World Cup to new... I worked the World Cup in South Africa... Uh, that was really well planned. That was an amazing, that was a catalyst for transformation change in that country, in the sporting culture. I think in, in, with it, with, in reference to Qatar, this is for your listeners, visually, this is half the size of Vancouver Island. And it's a, it's a population of 3 million. Only 14% is local. And now you're going to be bringing in 1.2 to 1.4 million visitors. Um, and with all the cultural and social issues on top of that, and if you look at their, you know, uh, match yesterday, um, they were they it could have been easily four or five nothing. So I'm saying it doesn't. It's not a country that is um, a footballing nation. Mm-hmm. It's not doesn't not did not have the infrastructure um, for sport, uh, and it didn't have the mass. Um, you need to be, an, if, I mean, the next World Cup will be in, in the U.S. and Canada. You need to have that broad mass for training facilities. It's going to be absolute chaos now when, um, uh, you know, all of the fans do arrive. It's, it's, I mean, the fan, and then the decision in the last two days to, um, on the liquor, you know, if they would have stayed with selling beer outside the stadiums, then the fan zones, it wouldn't have, put more uh, pressure on the fan zones. Now you're saying the, fa- the fan zones are the only place to buy beer. You're dupli- so you're getting fans going there, but you're also getting spectators who just want to have a beer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you're du- you could have divided that crowd up. Um, and, you know, twenty to 30,000 fans could have just gone to a, a fan zone outside of the stadiums rather than the... the um, so th- I think it wasn't the right decision. It was... I mean, I had, when I was in business development, we had many projects that were brought before us from, that were very suspicious. And um, uh, rarely were they approved by myself. Um, uh, and you could see there was, a, uh, uh, you know, something going on in terms of money allocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to just touch a little bit on, uh, there's been some comments from uh, Qatar's that, look, these are mostly allegations made from people in the West, Western nations, Western citizens. Um, I want to touch a little bit on, and because we've ca- covered Hockey Canada here, we've co- covered other uh, sports-related issues on this show to the point of where, you know, the Vancouver Canucks are hiring women uh, finally for their executive team uh, on the hockey operations side as well, which is great to see. Uh, um, in the end of the day, though, uh, while we make these allegations about Qatar and to a certain degree of FIFA, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of a different conversation, but when you look at our own country, 
we've got a lot more to do when you look at, as you said, the executive teams of most of these governing bodies, whether it be hockey, whether it be basketball, uh, whether it be football, whatever it may be, most of the executives you, you do see, and one of our former contributors, John Jang, has brought this up, it is predominantly still, um, you know, the sports is predominantly white at the end of the day in this country. Its players may not be. Certainly the diversity of the city is, we, we've reached, we're not a hyper-diversity, but when you look at management in this country of our sporting bodies, it is not remotely as, as diverse as it needs to be. Jazz, that's a very good question. We cannot be hypocrites here. In the, in the bid, United bid document, in page 21, it was very explicit in their commitments for 2026 would be a, a catalyst for cultural transformation of sport, that 50% of board composition and, and committees would be diverse. 50% of management roles and senior leadership roles would be re, re, uh, diverse, um, and, as well as establishing transparent benchmarks. None of that has occurred. Mm-hmm. And Canadian Soccer Association, along with every other national sporting organization that is publicly funded in our nation, has remained white for the last 100 years because we've had a Eurocentric uh, vision in sport governance in Canada. The, Im- the immigrants that came 100 years ago, that is the same lens and focus that is at that has remained in power and immigrants such as uh, are seen with fear, a sense of insecurity that we may be that this, this European mindset knows best about sport. Well, that's got to change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been working with some of our local MPs, uh, Parm Baines and George Hall. I'm actually doing my, my capstone research on the DEI reforms in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. They are creating pathways. They've understood that the status quo is not good enough. And, you know, that they've acknowledged that, that their coaching pathways, their player development models, their board government is, is, is lacking diversity, equity, inclusion. So they've mandated it. They've legislated it. Now, that advocacy has to start with our members of parliament and our MLAs. They can't be passive on this. They've got to pull these rogue, uh, whether it's Hockey Canada, and gender equity is not good enough yeah. because that... that, that just keeps the same people in power. It doesn't look at the intersection of race and ethnicity. Um, so people of color, we are, if you look at it, 2026 in the GTA and in Vancouver, it, people of color will be almost 50% of the population. Yeah. So okay, and, I'm going to have to stop you there, my friend. We've yeah. run out of time. I really appreciate uh, you making time for us to talk a little bit about uh, Qatar, but also uh, change that's required here in our uh, sports uh, governing bodies as well. Thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, and uh, I, I hope you continue these conversations because they're, they are much needed. This awareness is required.